personally. One of the reasons I'm tired is because, you know, my son, he's six years old, many of you know him, he loves to wake up really, really early. Like, like he'll wake up at like the crack of five o'clock. And he will, he'll be up, he'll be at it, and I'll say to him, son, why are you up? And he'll say very sweet things like, my heart told me it was time to get up. <laughs> which is very sweet. He has said that to me, said it to me yesterday, to which I respond, son, that's very sweet. But Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's time for you to go back to bed. And not only are we tired because we've got kids who get up early and don't let us rest, we're tired because even when we try to rest, we're really bad at it. For example, think about the upcoming Christmas break you're going to get, however long it's supposed to last for you. That break ain't much of a break if you're like me. Between the parties that you're planning that you're not supposed to plan and the parties that you go to that you're not supposed to go to and the presents you wrap and the fights you break up between the kids and taking your temperature every 15 minutes to make sure Santa didn't give you the COVID for Christmas. The only break you're going to get is when you break down in the parking lot of Memorial City Mall when you realize that you fought traffic, you found a parking spot, but you forgot your mask at home. That's the only break you're going to get. We are tired. We are tired. We're not just tired because we're busy. Uh, we are tired because there is this, this desperate search within us, a desperate, tiring, exhausting search within us for peace. That's what we're really, behind the scenes, beneath it all, that's what we're really laboring for. We are laboring and longing for peace. You and I are born into this world with this deep desire to have some soul-satisfying peace, for just everything to be okay. But that's what David is getting at in the 23rd Psalm. What he's saying is, we are sheep who need a shepherd who can lead us to some soul-satisfying peace. And you, you feel it all the time, the lack of peace in your life. It comes to you in, in many and various ways. It's this constant sense that things are not as they should be, and it's on your shoulders to make it better. So, like, it's that feeling you get when you look at the needs of your kids that never end, or it's the feeling you get when you look at the long list of things to do at work. It's the feeling you get when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. It's the feeling of anxiety you get when you look at your bank account and you don't like what you see. It's the feeling that's always in front of you that says, it's never enough, it's not okay, and I'm the problem, I have to fix it. From the moment we're born, we're trying to solve that problem. How do I find peace. I need some deep, soul-satisfying peace. And so in comes Jesus. He's predicted, he's prophesied, and he's born, and he enters into this world. And guess what? He's the one who's come to bring us peace. He's the one who, who comes to be the shepherd that David talks about. That's why David says this, Psalm 23, he says, he, the shepherd, ultimately Jesus, the good shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. Another way to translate restores could be liberates, he frees my soul from this labor that I feel and I live with of never being enough, having enough, of knowing I'm captive to dissatisfaction. And Jesus, the shepherd, is going to give us the deep soul satisfaction that we crave, that we cry out for. You hear this in the great Advent and Christmas hymns. For example, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. 
from our fears, am I enough? Do I have enough? Will it ever be okay? And from our sins, release us. Let us find our rest. Rest sounds good, doesn't it? Let us find our rest in thee. So Jesus has come as the good shepherd to give you the peace that you've been searching for since the very, very beginning. The question is, how does he give this peace? Well, this peace that Jesus offers us is, is found in, in two primary ways. First, Jesus will give you this soul-satisfying peace that will allow you to rest. He gives you the soul-satisfying peace by giving to you first righteousness. Now, I realize that that's like a $5 churchy word. But, but here's what righteousness means. He, he gives you righteousness in that... The, the deep longing that you and I actually have is to be right. And being right is what gives us peace. Now, when I say right, I'm not talking about like intellectual superiority, like when you're watching Jeopardy with your family and you know the answer and they don't. Right in the sense of being approved, being good, meeting the expectation, being enough. Being okay in the eyes of the ones that matters. That's what it means to be righteous. It's to be okay. It's to be enough. It's to be approved. It's to be absolved, you could even say. It's to have the eyes of the ones who matter look at you and say, you meet the standard. And that's ultimately what Jesus gives to us. Because that, that's really the burden and the curse of sin, a, a, apart from death, as if that wasn't enough. But, but the burden of sin as we live this life is this awareness that that you and I are not who we should be. And from, from the moment, from the moment we are born, we are craving something that will, that will satisfy, that will fix that sense of us knowing that we don't meet our own standards, we don't meet God's standards. Not only do we make mistakes, we make evil choices. We think horrible things. And even when we try to do the right thing, often we don't do the right thing. And we know that, we live with that, we're burdened by that, and we're trying to find a way to fix it. And we need approval, we need acceptance, we need someone to know that we are bad, and yet we are beloved. I mentioned my son earlier. We, we see this in kids from the moment they're born. If your kids are anything like mine, they, when they're young, they do this thing where they walk up to you and they say your name like 32 times. While you're doing something else, they're like, Dad, 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 Dad. Until finally you say what, and then when you say what, they look at you and go, huh. Like they think that little move right there, whatever it is, is some kind of big accomplishment or some major magic trick that they've just pulled off. And what you're supposed to do is go, oh, good job, buddy, good job, that's wonderful. Because you know why? What they're looking for is acceptance. They're looking for applause, they're looking for approval. And we never, ever grow out of that, ever. We just transfer it to other people and other things. We go from twirling for our parents to performing for our bosses, for, to meeting up to the expectations of our peers, to trying to, to be on the right side of history with the culture. We, we, we transfer it to other things, and what we're desperate for is for the eyes of people who are important to look at us and go, you're accepted, you belong, you matter, you're approved, because we know how broken we are. And so in comes Jesus, and he knows that's the deepest need. And so what does he do? He lives the perfect life that you can't live, and then he dies as the sacrificial lamb to cover over all the things that you've done. 
And then he rises out of the grave to break the curse that you carry of never, ever hitting the mark and the curse of death that comes with it. He breaks all of that so that now those who know him and believe in him can say, oh, because of Jesus Christ, I have a right relationship with the Father. I am righteous in the eyes of the one who matters. I'm right with the only one whose opinion really counts. I'm cool with the one who counts the most. I am righteous. And if you know that you're righteous with the most important one, you may never meet the standard of yourself or others. You may never be considered in step with the culture. But when it comes to the king, He looks at you and says, you're good. And if that's true, then that means you get to rest. You get to have some ease of soul. You get to pause from the burden of protecting, proving, providing, earning for yourself, for security, and you get to relax. So he gives us righteousness. He gives us something else, though. He gives us the right path. He guides our steps. It's not just that he looks at us and gives us this right relationship, but he promises. We talked about this a little bit last week. He promises to lead us in paths of righteousness. In fact, David says exactly that. He says in verses 2 and 3, he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness For his name's sake. He promises not only to make us right in the eyes of God, but then to lead us in what's right. To lead us down paths of right things. To lead us towards that which is good. Now that's an easy promise for us to skip over and not grasp the profundity of it. But think about it. How much anxiety do you experience on a day-to-day basis? Or how much guilt and shame do you carry that is somehow related to the fact that there are a thousand decisions that you have to make on a daily basis? Some are big, some are small, but all of them are on you. And you know who feels this the most? The younger and younger generation. Because as the world is filled with more and more options for everything, you'd think it increases the sense of freedom. Look at all the options we have. But what people are realizing, especially those who have all the options in front of them all the time, is that the more options you have, the more paralyzed you can feel. You, you want to see a millennial's head explode? Just, just ask them a hypothetical question. Say, if you had to live with just one streaming service for the rest of your life, Which would it be? Would it be Netflix? Would it be Hulu? Would it be Amazon Prime? Would it be Apple TV Plus? Would it be Disney Plus? Would it be HBO Max? Which one would it be? And you think that's an easy choice, but man, you want to watch The Crown, but The Mandalorian might change your life. You never know. And yet the promise of the Good Shepherd is this, that not only will he make you right in the eyes of God, but he will lead you in the right steps. He will lead you towards good things. Now, again, we talked about this last week. Does this mean that that everything will be awesome all the time? If God is going to lead you towards right things? No. Because what, what you or the culture or the people around you consider to be great or success may not always be what God considers to be right and good. He promises to lead you towards what he says is right. He promises to always lead you toward what he says is good. 
And then he promises, even if you step off of that path, to remind you that you are good in Jesus Christ. At every turn, he promises to lead you at all times. Now notice, him leading you toward righteousness comes after he leads you towards green pastures and still waters. It comes after he leads you towards the satisfaction of knowing that you are right with the only one who matters, and then he says, I'll lead you in righteous paths. Oftentimes, we we flip that equation. We say, well, God's going to lead me towards the right things, and as I follow him towards the right things, then I'll get towards the soul satisfaction. I'll get towards the the green grass and the cool waters. And then what happens is we step off the path of right things and we wonder, well, am I going to get to the green grass? Am I going to get to the cool waters? Am I going to get to the soul satisfaction? Am I going to get to this place of blessing from God? But that's not how it works. The good shepherd takes you to the satisfaction and the fulfillment first of knowing you are his and then flowing from that, he leads you down paths of righteousness, which means when you fall off the path or jump off the path or outright reject the path, you don't have to second guess your peace. Because you already have that. Your leading down paths of righteousness flows from your peace, not for it. And that makes all the difference in the world. Think for a moment. How much more rest, how much less anxiety would be in your life if you knew that whatever choice you make as you seek God's will, it was going to be okay. That whatever is in front of you, whatever, whatever choice is in front of you, big or small, whatever it is, that God is leading you towards good things, that even if you step away from the good thing, he's going to lead you to the reminder that you're good in his eyes and put you right back on that path. That no matter what you do, in, in a sense, you really couldn't fail because you're always going to be in his family. Would that, would that make you more brave? Would it make you more obedient? Would it make you less anxious? Would it give you more peace knowing that he is leading you on paths of righteousness? Would it? I think it would. So so hear me on this. If you're here as a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, he has made you right, and he's leading you towards right things right now. It's going to be okay. The question that all this kicks up for me then is this, if it's true that I, that I have the gift of righteousness, I'm right in the Father's eyes through Jesus, and he's leading me towards right things, and that is meant to give me peace as I walk through this exhausting existence, how do I experience more of that on a daily basis, that peace? How do I like live in and lean in to that promise a little more? Well, I think it comes down to, to two more things. And, and these are going to be so painfully obvious, you're going to want to slap me, but please don't. But they're obvious because they're true. But to experience this peace, first, it means that you submit your sins to Jesus. And it's not just like a one-time thing. It's a perpetual thing. I, t- I told you it's obvious. You grew up going to church, you're like, of course he talked about sin. Well, I kind of have to. You've got it. I've seen it. I've got it too. But we we submit our sins to him over and over 
and over again. Now, the reason we recognize and submit our sins to Jesus is not because Jesus wants us to walk around feeling guilty all the time. That's not it. It's not because he wants us to, to feel shame and pain all the time as we recognize our sin and we lift it to him. This is about him feeding us green grass and still waters. I, I liken it to, to recognizing that you're hungry. Being hungry is bad. Recognizing you're hungry is good because then you can get some food. And I'm very pro-food. Being a sinner is bad. Recognizing you're a sinner is good. And lifting it up to Jesus is how you get fed. And he feeds you the proclamation that despite your sin, you are right in the eyes of the Father. And so every time you confess, he feeds you mercy and grace. Jesus, I did something horrible today. I know, I was there, it was bad. Mercy and grace, you're right with the Father. Yeah, I, I thought some things that I really shouldn't have thought, and if anybody knew them, oh man, I would lose everything. Yeah, I know, I was there too. Here's mercy and grace, you're fine with the Father. I failed to do this thing that you, you absolutely told me to do, but in the moment I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. I failed to do it, and Jesus was like, I know, I was there, I saw you not do it. Here's mercy and grace, you're right with the Father. Every time we lift our sins to Jesus, he promises to respond with a word of absolution, acceptance, approval, which is a word of peace. Every time. So, so if we're submitting to Jesus our sins, the other thing we have to submit to him is he promised, if he promises to lead us in paths of righteousness, the, the other thing we submit to him is our steps. We, we submit the sins that burden us and the steps that are before us. The big decisions that we have, the, the, the little choices that we have, uh, the anxieties that we face, we, we lift them up to him and we, we kind of claim that promise. You promised to lead me towards right things for your name's sake. You're holy and good. That's your name. So, so lead me towards that which is holy and good. We ask him this uh, on the daily about the big things, the little things, and all the in-between things. We give them all to him. Now, now, some of you hear that, that we should submit our, our choices and our steps to God, and that feels laborious to you. That doesn't feel like a, like, a, like a gift to you. It feels like a chore to you. And I get it. That there are some gifts that you get that aren't gifts at all. Like if someone gives you a pet that you didn't ask for, or a Peloton bike that you didn't want, they're not giving you a gift. They're giving you work. Get on that bike, drop a few LBs, and scoop this litter box while you're at it. Merry Christmas. That's not a gift. But this, this is not like that. If you, if you bristle at the idea of lifting up your decisions and your steps to God, if that feels like a chore to you, my fear for you is that you don't yet understand just how loved you are and how much grace you've already been given. Because the, the thing about love is that it turns, it turns have-tos into get-tos. When you know that someone loves you, when you know that they have good things waiting for you, when you know that they want to bless you and serve you and help you, when you know that they're like a champion of you, then the idea of submitting your life and the things that you have in front of you to them, it's, it's not an obligation. It, it's, actually an, it's actually a joy 
because you know that they love you and that love will come back as you lift up to them the big decision and the small decision. And so we submit them all to Jesus. Help me with this. You promised to lead me toward good things and holy things. Help me with this because I don't know what to do with this thing. Help me with this. And when I fall off this path, when I refuse to do what I know is right, forgive me for this. Remind me that I'm right, not because I'm a messed up sheep, but because I've got a really good shepherd. Remind me. That's how you lean into it. That's how you live in it. And if you don't believe me, just test me. Try it. I dare you. Take the big decision. Take the source of shame. Lift it up to him. See what happens. Look, I, I want you to have the best Christmas ever. I mean, Lord knows this year of all years, we need it, right? I, I think you felt it. People are crazy for Christmas this year because it's been such a crazy year. Like, people are putting on ugly Christmas sweaters and lights on their house like nobody's business. Like, I'm going to have some joy this season. And I want that for me and my family. I want it for you too. But beyond the parties and the presents and, and all that kind of stuff, wouldn't, wouldn't a great Christmas just be like some relief and some rest from the pressure that you feel to like prove yourself or earn your existence? Wouldn't a great Christmas feel like knowing that, that the one above you is also behind you, guarding your back through every single step that you take? And being reminded that you're a sheep with a shepherd who's made you good with God and who's got you every step of the way? To me, the, the release the, that comes from knowing that that, for me, would make for a really, really good holiday. I'm okay. I'm good. What is your greatest regret right now? What's your biggest source of shame? What's the dark thing that you indulged most recently. What's the next big decision in front of you? What's the anxiety-inducing choice that's been given to you? What is it? I know other people might think it's petty, but it's big to you. What is it? Lift it up. Let's see what happens. I'll close with this. Um, in, in Palestine, the, the part of the world where Jerusalem is located, where, where David was king when he wrote the 23rd Psalm, where Jesus lived and died and rose again. In, in Palestine, they don't get a whole lot of rain, as you might imagine. There's like two rainy seasons a year, and they're not really substantial. And so most of the time, much of the ground is brown and dry and lacking for water, which means there's not a whole lot of green around. And yet, what's interesting is that in this psalm, David, in this dry setting, in this dry setting, he talks of a shepherd who knows where all the green grass is. 
and who knows where all the still cool waters are. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Same words David uses in the psalm. He's come to you. He's come to you, and he's a good shepherd. And I know that your world is pretty brown and dry right now. But he knows where the green grass is. He knows where the still waters are. And it's his mercy and grace for every sin you're struggling with. And it's the promise that he will guide and lead every step from this day forward. That's where it is. So go to him. And give thanks for him. Lift it all up to him. And realize that this Christmas there is not just joy in this world, but all is right. Righteous in your world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son is the good shepherd who's come to not only be the, the sheep who dies sacrificially to cover over our sins, but, but who is the great and good shepherd who, who leads us toward what we really need, which is deep soul satisfaction of knowing that we're right with you even though we're riddled with sin. And we thank you that you promise to guide every step toward that which is good and that which is holy and that which will ultimately end in your hands. Father, help us to lean into and experience more of the peace that flows from these promises today. Ease some of the anxiety of soul that we feel when we look at our mistakes and our choices. And this Christmas, may we not just light the candle of peace on our Advent wreaths. May we have it and the rest that comes with it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.